You're listening to Lab Notes, your weekly dose of inspiring innovation. Hello and welcome to Lab Notes. I'm your host, Leo Stevens, and today I'm bringing you a fantastic conversation with Reese Cornock, founder and director of the engineering consultancy Sprout Scientific. First and foremost, Reese considers himself a scientist. After graduating with a Bachelor of Nanotechnology, Reese began his career at the Australian National Fabrication Facility, developing additive manufacturing equipment at a time when 3D printing was exploding in popularity and public awareness. This work ultimately saw Reese establish one of Australia's only clinical biofabrication facilities at St. Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne, giving doctors direct access to 3D printing and ultimately enabling the development of new technologies for chronic conditions like epilepsy. Since handing over the reins of this applied research hub in 2014, Reese has been focused on the challenge of grant seeking working first with the well-known accounting firm Ernst & Young, and more recently through his own boutique consultancy, Sprout Scientific. Through Sprout, Reese is dedicated to supporting early-stage technology businesses through grant-seeking, business development, and engineering design. Reese Cornock, welcome to LabNotes. Thanks very much, Leo. It's an honor to be here. So, Reese, you're still young. You're in your early 30s, but you've already worn quite a few hats over your career. How do you introduce yourself and what you do now? I'm a scientist uh, at heart, but I have a a bit of business experience and I love helping people who have interesting ideas and passions uh, and want to do good. And we're recording this in your offices at Sprout Scientific. What, What does Sprout do? So here we have a number of services for young startups, particularly those who are trying to get off the ground. We do business consulting, grant writing, prototyping, and also some software and web development. So if you don't mind, I'd like to delve into a few of the experiences that underpin Sprout Scientific. And can I start with high school? I understand you attended MacArthur Anglican and had a few inspirational teachers, but also a run-in with a professor from the University of Western Sydney. What do you remember of your high school experience? Yeah, I had some great teachers uh, at MacArthur Anglican. I had a, a very flamboyant physics teacher and a very chill chemistry teacher who I admired as well. But I do remember one particular instance where we had a visiting professor from UWS come to our physics class. He was teaching the class about nanotechnology and the concept of constructing things from the ground up, atom by atom. And I remember being inspired by the idea of being able to construct diamond from carbon particles or to be able to use fancy microstructures to manipulate the way tissue behaves within the body. And I think that kind of pushed me along the path of making the decision to actually go into science. Um, Because at that point, I'd always considered myself a jack of all trades, but a master of none. So I tended to have quite good grades, but I wasn't absolutely exceptional at anything. And I think that is, it leads to what I have always felt as a kind of option paralysis. So I felt like that was a kind of critical moment for me in choosing a path um, to change the world through science. And yeah, you, you did go into follow not only science, but, but actually nanotechnology, like that professor was talking about. You, you attended the University of Wollongong and took on a Bachelor of Nanotechnology. Hmm. 
was university life everything you're expecting it would be? I think to a degree. Um, I think there was probably a little bit more partying than I would have expected in the first instance, but um, the degree itself was interesting in sort of it had a real materials focus. I really enjoyed delving into that space because it wasn't something that you really tackled in high school as much. But I think just being surrounded by the ideas of peers who were focusing in on, on new paths that were exciting to them and that energy was really important, me choosing my own path as well. Yeah, and I know you had some experiences other than just the regular degree. You'd spent a year studying abroad in Oslo in Norway. You know, that's about as close to the other side of the world as you can get. How did that experience shape you? Yeah, getting to Norway, it's, it was a completely different space. You leave all your support networks behind. Um, you're putting yourself into a completely new culture, a completely new academic system, you know, a place where sometimes the days are only four or five hours long. That was incredibly interesting. And, you know, just the concept of, of being able to, to jump on the Teban and, and end up at the snowfield less than an hour later from the CBD of Oslo was amazing and I absorbed the culture and I, I tried to learn the language and I just loved every moment of it. And I, I wouldn't trade those years which it ended up being for, for anything. As beguiling as Norway was, Reese did eventually choose to return to the sunny land of Australia completing his Bachelor's of Nanotechnology and graduating with First Class Honours. And whilst Rhys elected not to go into postgraduate study, he nevertheless became involved in academic research, joining the Australian National Fabrication Facility to design and build specialist 3D printing equipment. I asked Rhys what it was like working at the leading edge of this technology just as it was exploding into the public consciousness. Yeah, I mean, it was it was inspiring to see the, the kind of groundswell behind it. We had uh, a couple of very interesting projects going on. We were developing a coaxial extrusion printing process and starting to target them towards tissue engineering applications. What was interesting about that was you were combining the talents of a lot of different scientific disciplines all into one. So you had electronics engineers, you had chemists, as well as biologists all merging together to try and figure out exactly how these new processes should, or what they should look like and what they need to be to have applicability in the tissue engineering field. Yeah, awesome. And I guess your, your learnings there in the tissue engineering applications of 3D printing really led to your next job. In 2013, you were seconded to St. Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne to establish an applied biofabrication facility there. And it was one that was destined to work hand-in-hand hand with clinicians and researchers at the hospital. What was it like building this facility from the ground up and what sort of projects were you working on? Fantastic question. Uh, that time of my life, I, I kind of mark as the, the craziest time that I've been through so far. Uh, I'd just met my life partner at this point um, and we were moving together. So not only were we kind of moving in with one another for the first time, we were also moving into state and I was moving into this job where they had a fantastic PR officer who was really making use of that groundswell behind 3D printing and, and tissue engineering and, and what the future could look like. 
And so we were inundated with press releases and people wanted to come and visit this new facility. We'd barely finished, you know, tightening up the hinges on the doors and getting the final machines running and they were wanting to see things in action and, and things kind of moving. So it was a crazy time, but the projects were fantastic and it was really inspiring to, again, be able to bring in more disciplines. So in that environment, we had access to clinicians. Um, so we're working with orthopedic surgeons and neurologists on different projects. Um, so some of these projects included, you know, um, developing polymers for epilepsy treatment, then using sort of crab shell extracts um, and other interesting biomaterials to, to make bioscaffolds that would target certain tissues within the body. For example, we're using gelma and hyaluronic acid to create these tissue engineering scaffolds for cartilage regeneration. Uh, and further, we were using other sort of seaweed extract to mimic fibers of muscle and try and use them as a, as a vehicle or a Trojan horse to reintegrate cells into the body that had been removed and treated. So there's some really interesting stuff going on. And it was a crazy time, but once again, not one that, that I would look back on and, and change. So. Yeah, amazing, Reese. And I understand that lab is still going in some form. But in 2014, your own career took a bit of a left turn. You left applied research to join the accounting firm Ernst & Young and help consult on the R&D tax incentive program. Can you tell us what underpinned that move into the corporate world? And what did you learn from being there? Yeah, so I think, you know, a lot of my work history to that point had been based in academia and I think in the back of my mind I'd always had this this feeling that industry and academia and consulting and other sort of different sectors all operate differently. That was kind of I guess the curiosity that led me to, to jump into one of the world's largest consulting firms and I think I think the management structure as well I was used to a very kind of flat structure a very very independent and I wanted to see what the other sectors that exist, how they, how they tackled productivity and how they tackled, yeah, those kinds of things. Have you had any learnings from that environment that you've brought back to science now you're here? Absolutely, yeah. So I think one of the things that being in that environment teaches you is it teaches you to effectively value your time, uh, which is something that's really important and something that I feel like often a lot of scientists perhaps don't do as much as they should. There's no cost-benefit analysis going on with how they're directing their time. Whereas this is a systems-based approach. You've got a lot of management in, in academia. You've got that, that flat structure often. In this kind of scenario, you have really, really strong management. And, you know, at, at the, and every workplace has, has its pros and its cons. So in a consulting environment, you've got um, lots of management, perhaps not as much independence. But the projects you're working on are still really interesting. And what I loved about being in the grants team with, with Ernst & Young was we were working with industry and seeing how they approach science. And I thought that was really, really fulfilling and um, yeah, made, it, made a big difference in my perception when comparing that with the academic approach. So yeah, definitely some interesting projects and learnings from EY, but I guess the corporate world wasn't for you long-term because after a few years at EY, you you pushed back against that to the extent that you actually packed up your life and took a, a year touring Australia in the back of a van, which is about as far from the corporate world as you could possibly get. C can you take us on that journey with you? W where did you go and, and why did you leave? Yeah, like 
I think ultimately it was a great decision. So after a few years with Ernst, with Ernst and Young, I was feeling um, I was feeling like I needed a change and needed to reevaluate things. One of the issues I had was that they're working doing grants for these larger corporates, very expansive, intricate projects. Um, however, I always felt like it was the little guys who really needed the leg up. And ideally, I, I would like to be writing grants for the small guys. But, you know, the issue is that they often don't have the money to pay for it. I can recall a lot of long nights working through those feelings with Julia, uh, who was amazing and gave me a lot of nudges in a, in a, in a positive direction. Um, so I think I just needed to, to get away and get some space. And um, yeah, a trip around Australia seemed like the thing to do at the time. And yeah, I, I learned more from that trip than I ever imagined that I would. One of my favorite moments, I think we were chasing waterfalls at the time in, in Queensland. And um, I just had a bit of a moment of reflection on redefining for myself what success actually looked like. And I think people, they get this idea of success ingrained in them, usually through their family when they're very, very young. And if you don't actually take the time to stop and reflect on all of the things you've learned along the way and then use that to you know, redefine what success looks like for you, you don't know what you're shooting for. And that's, that's not a good place to be. Um, and so, yeah, I had a moment there where I was like, okay, well, maybe success isn't exactly what I thought it would be. It wouldn't be being the CEO of a huge multinational, which is something I think I dreamed as as a 10-year-old. Um, but rather, you know, those, those things that make me happy and, and, where, and striking that balance. Being able to have an entrepreneurial spirit, um, choose my own path. Um, so yeah, I think all those things were kind of meshing together to, to say, okay, it's time to, time to do something new. So after some personal epiphanies on this round Australia trip, Reese knew it was time to strike out on his own. He tried a few different ventures, including a 3D printing business, a food science startup, energizing the family's property maintenance business, and finally settling down to create a consulting firm he's called Sprout Scientific. While Sprout has come to offer a wide range of engineering services, it is fundamentally built around Reese's skills in acquiring grants, including the R&D tax incentive program that he had been working on with Ernst & Young. I asked Reese about what the grant landscape looks like today and what help is available to scientists and deep tech entrepreneurs looking to commercialize new technologies. Yeah, okay. Um, having worked in the academic space and in the commercial space, there's kind of a, a divide between those that are targeted towards government funded researchers and those that are targeted toward businesses and companies. So. On the commercial side, you have the Research and Development Tax Incentive, which is probably the largest program that the Australian government offers. So if you're a company that's doing innovative projects where there's a high degree of technical uncertainty and an unknown outcome, and that, that doesn't mean that you have to be in a lab coat, um, you know, pouring chemicals into beakers. It could be a software project that you're attacking in a scientific way. Then you are eligible or you could be eligible for 43.5% or 38.5% fundable or non-refundable tax offset. So that's a huge program because a lot of groups that are already spending money on very innovative projects could be eligible for that and, and may not be making use of that. Another one that we routinely do is the export market development grants. 
the Australian government and Austrade in particular have a program which year on year you can apply for, uh, which allows you to get a rebate if you're spending money promoting Australian-based products, processes or services overseas. So it's, it's a similar uh, concept where you've actually already spent the money. Most grant programs out there are prospective. You want to do a project and you're asking for the money. These two programs, they're retrospective. Um, and then there's, there's other sort of more competitive grants like the Minimum Viable Products, for example, which is a, is a co-funded grant where you, you put some coin in yourself and the government will support you to deliver the project. But there's quite a range out there in the, in the grant scape, as I call it, when you have not only local governments, but also state government, federal government, and also you know, large institutions like banks putting their own grants out. It can become a very complicated kind of web of grantscape. So we, we try to keep a handle of, of grants uh, opportunities as they become available. And um, if we can help, we will, and try to um, put, out, put the best foot forward for our clients. And speaking of putting the best foot forward, I've heard you speak about the importance of business plans and technology roadmaps for startup companies, you know, in part to help them obtain grants, but also, I guess, to just support the business development as a whole as a matter of good governance. Mm -hmm. Why is this so important? And do you have a feeling as to why it might be overlooked by entrepreneurs? Yeah, so very, very often we will be talking with a, with a new startup or a new group and our first step will be, okay, can you send us some collateral so we can understand your business and help you to write this grant? And I think that when oftentimes that falls on its face and they don't have a business plan, um, then it begs to question you, okay, how, how much does this group actually know what their, what their goal is and, and how they're going to take steps to get there? And, you know, maybe that's a bit of a wake-up call for them to, to actually have a solid plan that, that allows them to refocus in that way. Um, and look, a, a lot of groups feel like, oh, business plan, that's going to take forever. But there's other options out there as well. Uh, there's a thing called a business model canvas, which is effectively a one-pager. And within that one-pager, you can succinctly divide all of your kind of goals uh, for, for, for marketing, for sales, for technology into a, a succinct, easy to kind of digest formula for your business development. Groups, groups should probably look at the, at the business plan and not be afraid of it, but want to get stuck into it because having that is, is absolutely vital, not only for us to, to help understand your business and, and win you grants, but also so that you can share not only with your management, but with your whole team, what your kind of goal is, what you're trying to do as a team. If that's not in place, then yeah, I think it should be definitely a priority. Yeah, good advice to be sure. Now, Sprout, it's, it's not purely about grants. You also offer services in engineering consultancy and digital system development. Why did you choose to, to add these services in rather than make Sprout a grant specialist? Yeah, so I think this kind of sprouted, if you will, out of... Uh, the conversations we were having with groups that we were writing grants for. What, one of the great things about grant writing is that you get to see all of these really cool projects and where they're up to with it and how they're attacking it, um, which is one of the absolute best things about the job. But in, in saying that, you're also seeing where the problems are. And you know, coming from a, from a research background, I knew a lot of people with a lot of varied skills, all the kinds of minds you would need to put a prototype together. And so for me, I was like looking at these problems and thinking, okay, well, I kind of know 
a little bit about this and I also know the right people to talk to to make this problem go away for you. And so that's kind of where we were like, okay, well, we should be adding prototyping or, you know, design services to our, to our portfolio. Um, and that's, that's kind of what we did. It grew, out, it grew from that. It kind of bred this idea that Sprout Scientific is there to wear the hats that you don't want to wear. So you've got all of these founders trying to wear a thousand, two thousand different hats. And they got into it because, I don't know, maybe they loved packaging design in their particular field and they're a designer. But that doesn't mean that they need to know how to run a set of books. So our goal is to kind of be able to step in and help to push these great ideas along, especially those that are doing social and ethical good. And yeah, be there and wear the, some of those hats so that they don't have to. So does that mean that I guess your clients eventually graduate from Sprout when they're big enough to hire these people internally? Yeah, I think that's going to be a pain point for us. And we've seen it a couple of times already where we have taken on a job and we're building it up and we're feeling really good about it. And then we effectively get outgrown. You know, maybe it's because we can't manufacture 20,000 units um, and that's a, a sudden requirement of the business. But yeah, effectively... We're there for that early part of the journey, and if they'll keep us on, that will be great. If they need to move on, then I would ultimately advocate for them to do what is best for their business. So a final question before we let you go. As someone who has experienced science, entrepreneurship, and business consulting, what would be your biggest piece of advice for an aspiring researcher or entrepreneur looking to bring a new technology to market? I think... My biggest piece of advice for, for new entrepreneurs um, and, and entrepreneurs, in my experience, they are amazing, amazing people that clearly back themselves, they have the confidence and the belief that they can do anything. I would say that that doesn't mean that you have to do everything. That's kind of my biggest piece of advice. Having a kind of network of, of people that you can draw on because you know that that person spends a lot of time learning in that field and it could be marketing or it could be sales or it could be you know, having, having the right accountant. But trying to bring it all in and do everything yourself is a recipe for stress and it will actually divert you from your real goals. And I think defining those goals is the other really important, important piece of advice. So divide, define the goals and then make sure you're not taking on too much and refer that out to people who want to help you anyway. If your project is worth doing, then people will want to help you. It's great advice, Reese, and thanks so much for joining us here on the Lab Notes podcast. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Leo. Well, that's all we can fit into Lab Notes for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. If you're keen to hear more inspiring stories of innovation, check out our back catalogue and subscribe to the channel so new episodes can appear on your device once a week. Lab Notes is produced by Eon Labs in collaboration with Rennie Digital. You can find links to both of those organisations, along with our guest's biography and more in the description below. Our music is sourced from Purple Planet Music and mixed by Nat Harris. I'm your host, Dr. Leo Stevens. Until next week, keep inventing.